It's the 13th day of the 2023 Israel-Hamas war. Nearly two weeks since Israelis woke up on that Saturday morning, October 7th, to a rocket barrage from Gaza and the terrifying attacks by Hamas terrorists, killing, burning, and kidnapping hundreds in several Gaza border communities in the towns of that area, Sterot, Ofakim, and Nitivot, and then carrying out a massacre of more than 200 people at an outdoor music rave called Supernova, set in the fields next to Kibbutz Re'im. Hirsch Goldberg Poland, 23, is one of the Israelis who was at the event and who hasn't returned. He was last heard from just after 8 a.m. that Saturday morning when his parents, John Poland and Rachel Goldberg, received two brief text messages from him. I love you and I'm sorry. We just knew as hour and hour and hour went by and news started to pour out from this music festival of, you know, this massive massacre that took place. It's terrifying. Since then, it's been a nightmarish roller coaster of horror, dread, and action as John and Rachel tried to find out what they can about Hirsch's whereabouts and do whatever they can to bring their boy home. This week on What Matters Now, it's Jessica Steinberg with Rachel Goldberg, mother of presumed Hamas captive... Hirsch Goldberg, Poland. I'm here with Rachel Goldberg, and we are in her daughter's bedroom uh, in Jerusalem. And it has been 12 days since this nightmare has begun. And we're what's happening in the apartment, in John and Rachel's apartment, is that there is a chamal, a situation room. It is a room that is sometimes filled with the family and friends who are like family who have worked tirelessly for hours every day to do everything possible to get Hirsch home, along with all the other confirmed Hamas hostages. There have been, there's been an intensive media blitz, many, many articles that Listeners have certainly been reading, obviously, plenty of TV as well, a lot in the States and a lot in Israel as well. And of course, also making very vital U.S. government connections. And that was something that began really as of the Saturday night when this all started unfolding. So the team has spent a lot of time gathering information from those who are near Hirsch and survived. And Rachel, I'm wondering what's one particular story or detail that stood out for you among all of the things that you were hearing and that were difficult to process, but gave you the information that you needed? So something that comes to mind, you know, when this very first started to unfold on on Saturday morning, Shabbat morning, um, you know, first there's just this primal terror that everybody goes through uh, when you think your child is in danger. And in this case, it was very much validated uh, that we knew something horrible had happened right where he was. He had sent us these very ominous texts at 8.11 in the morning. um, And we just knew as hour and hour and hour went by and news started to pour out from this music festival of, you know, this massive massacre that took place. It's terrifying. So, we weren't thinking beyond how do we find him? Where is he? And in, you know, thank God we had this amazing group of people who came over and just, they were not coming over to hug us. They were coming over to work. 
And it was amazing that they were able to keep their heads when we were in a complete daze. And to the point where people, you know, late Saturday night, when we still didn't know anything, we had two friends who went down to one to Soroka and one to uh, Barzilai to look through unidentified bodies to see if he was there. I mean, these are friends who, those are friends who, I mean, I don't even, the word friend doesn't describe what they were. Um, And even on Sunday, when we went to the, um, they had set up this makeshift police department in airport city for all the parents of, or family members of people who were searching for their loved ones. Um, You know, the idea of talking to, the media or the press was like the last thing on our minds. Um, And we did on Saturday night call the U S embassy to tell Mm -hmm. them that a U.S. citizen is missing. Um, But the real turning point of, we kept saying, we're not going to the press. Like this is not a story. I mean, we want, we were part of a story, but it wasn't Hirsch was a story. Right. Um, So we were, just panicked, sickened, not did not go to sleep for sure for those first 48 hours, no sleep. Um, and then our team had found this picture of the actual bomb shelter that Hirsch and right. his friend Honor were in. And we were able, through some of the young people on the team and through Libby, through Hirsch's sister, to start identifying some of the other people who were in that bomb shelter. And so then we were able to start, you know, this whiteboard of trying to figure out who can get that person's number. And one of Hirsch's close friends um, named Omer was unbelievably helpful. And he was, he's a real connector and he was able to find the brother of the guy who was standing next to the girl. And finally, we spoke to eyewitnesses who were trapped under the dead bodies right. in the in the um, bomb shelter, who were also injured but were alive, but they were pretending to be dead, dead. thank God. Right. Um, and they're the ones who witnessed Hirsch being taken out of the bomb shelter. And what was, it was heartbreaking for the team to have to tell us this because John and I had just gone downstairs after 48 hours of no sleep and we had seen the picture of the bomb shelter. So we thought, okay, thank God he wasn't, he's not laying in the field next to where everyone was right. killed at the music festival. He made it to a bomb shelter. Why hasn't he called us? Maybe he lost his phone in the shuffle. Maybe there's no clita, no um reception. reception down there. Whatever, whatever the case, we were, you know, really trying to hope for the best. And John came downstairs and he said, you know, the team wants to talk to us. And I thought, oh my gosh, if they're getting us, we already came downstairs. It was like one in the morning. We've right. been up for almost three days now. It must be not good. good. And that's when our dear friend Rotem said, listen, I went back to the eyewitnesses that we spoke to, to say, because they had said to us, we were on the call with them. Right. All of us were, we would sit around, you know, with them the phone on speaker in the middle, the whole team. And one of the witnesses had said he walked out. He was very calm. He wasn't, he wasn't, you know, um, he didn't shout. He didn't cry like nothing, but he had hurt his hand. She said, you know, in Hebrew, you know, 
I forget how she said the yad. Uh huh. And so you know, and so Rotem said to her, "Was it so?" So it was just like he just hurt his hand, and she said, "Lo zaya yoter me, you know, zeloya kal." Right, it wasn't a light injury. It It wasn't such a big deal. But he walked out like it. It wasn't light, but he he was able to walk. He didn't lose consciousness. So Rotem had ended up calling her back and the other two eyewitnesses, and they said, you know, they didn't want to say because we were on the call that from the elbow, like somewhere near the elbow down, his arm had been blown off. And they hadn't wanted to tell us that. And of course, as soon as they tell us that, like we get sick to our stomachs and then we start to think the worst. And, you know, immediately, and they said, it's the left hand and I'm left-handed and Hirsch is left-handed. And I'm immediately just, you know, it was just so, there was something about it that was so re-sickening from already a super sickening situation. Um, And um, I remember just feeling like, like the blood drain out of my face. And I just thought he's probably bled out. Like he probably got on that truck. Like they had said he had tied some sort of tourniquet, but I'm thinking you tie a tourniquet with one hand. Right. And how tight are you tying a tourniquet when like your arms been blown off onto yourself? Right. Um, And I just thought, and I even said it, I think I said, I think he probably died like, in in the field, like as they were driving him, they probably like took him off the truck and he died in the field. Right. Like it just, you know, was this horrible, sickening feeling. And and that was the turning point where first of all, Rotem said to me, absolutely not. Do not lose hope. You cannot say that. Like he he's strong. They said he walked out. He, he had tied a tourniquet, his own tourniquet. You know, you, snapped out of it. Right. And then we decided, so first of all, then we didn't sleep I was again saying you didn't that go to sleep night. that night, no. And that night, in more so, we said, that's it. We're going to every media outlet we can because time is of the essence and right. we want to save his life. So that was a turning point. Right. And so that this was a real injury. turning point. And that's when we, because everyone had been calling us those first two days, you know, America had heard about what happened and Hirsch's name was a little bit out there because he's American. Right. And they were, and we were saying, no, it's not the time, it's not whatever. And all of a sudden, we thought, we have nothing to lose. He's dying. He's right. actually dying. Right. So that's when we said, fine, we'll take anyone who calls us. And until today, until right before you guys called, that's when, um, you know, I've had, we've been, you know, doing many, this. Right. And for whatever reason, it speaks to people his story. And I think it's just simply that he really is everybody's kid. Everyone can picture someone who's like Hirsch, if it's not their own kid or their nephew or their brother or, you know, whoever it is, he's just this regular guy, guy, you know? So I think that that's why for the moment there's interest. I mean, we're not naive. We know that the way news cycles work is that, you know, it, this will pass. He's the world to us. He's the most important thing in our universe, but we know that that's not going to be the case. Um, so for now, we feel like if we can save his life, which to be honest, you know, the Red Cross has been on the border trying to get in. Right. John speaks to them every day in London, in Geneva, here. They can't get in. 
doctors without borders. They can't get in. So, I mean, we can't, there's a chance that he died 10 days ago. You know, Mm -hmm. that we just don't know. And that's why we're in the twilight zone. Go back to something that you said about Hirsch being this guy that everyone can can picture, can identify with, can imagine as their nephew or son or brother. Talk to us a little bit about Hirsch, hmm. who he is, and what, give us a story about who this guy Hirsch Goldberg Poland is. Well, I don't know many Jewish mothers who say, <laughs> you know, he's okay. <laughs> I mean, so... I think he's just, you know, the best thing since sliced bread. But um, he's a very, he's a really funny, witty, smart, voraciously well-read, curious, trivia-knowledgeable, geography aficionado. Um, He loves music. He's really comfortable with people of all ages. Um, what made me feel really good is just in passing, just a few minutes ago before you guys arrived, I saw uh, someone had just met him. Dina Kraft just <laughs> met him right. on the first night of Sukkot. And she said when they left, you know, he, was si- he wasn't sitting near us. He was sitting more on the and kids' the side mm-hmm. that she said, on the way home, her kids were talking to her about Hirsch and how much they liked Hirsch, and that she said, he's the kind of boy that I want I want my daughter to marry. <laughs> and I thought, like, that's what's nice about Hirsch, is he's, just, he's a sweet, kind, respectful guy. He doesn't take himself seriously. He's not super buttoned up. I mean, he's like this crunchy granola. He like was he went born to, in Berkeley, right? He was. It's in his, it's in his genes, and he... He just spent nine weeks in Europe traveling to six different music (laughs) festivals. He went by himself with his teeny tiny backpack, (laughs) you know, with like two shirts and three pair of underwear. And we were thinking, I really hope you wash those. (laughs) Um, You know, he's just a good, decent person. The truth is he's a good, decent person. He, um, he's a very sympathetic person and, uh, yep. I like him. Yeah, I, one can understand why. So you've spoken to nearly every major news outlet, as we've discussed, you know, list them, and are on, you and John are on the cover of Time Magazine this week, which is iconic and difficult to see because Awful. don't want to be on right. the cover of Time Magazine for this reason. And as you've been describing, you were able to tell, to bring the her story to the much wider public, to the international audience. And it's, it's a responsibility in a sense. It is because you are representing obviously Hirsch and all the other 200 and something captives that we don't even know the exact number at this moment. And I imagine it's also something of a burden and I'm wondering, at this point, 12 days in, how that feels. Obviously, you're going to keep on doing it, but what does that feel like right now? Well, it definitely feels terrible to be um, to be known in at in any way. I actually wrote something which I could read to. I wrote yesterday morning when I was up, you know, by four in the morning up right. for the day, and just it was it was a 
extra hard morning for some reason. And I wrote something about like, I just want to be nobody again. Yeah. And part of the fun of being named Rachel Goldberg is that I was always nobody because I'm the Jane Doe of Jewish women. Like everybody <laughs> knows Rachel Goldberg's, you know? And so I, I always had this anonymity and now to be known for such a horrible thing, um, which God willing, please, you know, will have a good ending. But I mean, you know, it's, uh, so that alone being known is awful. Um, and also knowing that however this ends will be known for a long time is also awful. Um, in terms of feeling a burden or a responsibility, I actually don't feel that. I feel like we are everybody. Yeah. So it really doesn't, it doesn't feel like I'm a representative for anyone. I actually think we all feel that. I feel every um, family that I speak to, they're all speaking to whoever they could speak to and they feel the same. You know, we just have a common mission. Yeah. Um, and so that part is fine. Uh, but it's tragic to feel like I've lived my whole life, you know, just being this like under the radar, no one. And it's been completely fine with me. And now to be known for such a, you know, horrible nightmare that we're going through is, is unfortunate. To put it mildly. Exactly. So you've been logging these 20 hour days. You've, I've read pieces where you talk about drinking your tea in the morning because probably coffee is not a good idea. Not an option. No, crying into a t-shirt and then getting to work. I think that was from People Magazine and it was a very potent image. But when you and John close the lights at night and do get into bed and do try to sleep, what happens then? What are you able to, how, are you able to sleep? Well, so thankfully we have, um, right away my family doctor called. He saw in the in the press somewhere, you know, what, what happened. Happening? And he called and he said, okay, I have prescribed, um, you know, whatever it is. I don't even know what it is. He said, have a friend, go pick it up. And when you do finally get into bed at night, you take one of these and it will knock you out. Mm -hmm. And in theory, it's supposed to knock you out for about eight hours. We both get up after about three hours. We just, it must be the natural sleep cycle. Right. There's like a period where you could go deeper in our inner you know, chemistry knows. Doesn't allow you. There's no time for that, you know. And so um, we have just been, you know, powering on. We have a job to do. And thank God we have this team around us who, when we're, you know, getting weak in the knees, they pick they're us there. up. And, and that's been, that's the reason that we're functioning, period. Um, is because of these people around us. And what I've so appreciated is that, first of all, I really appreciate that some of our dearest friends happen to be these talented, brilliant <laughs> right. strategists who know much more than I do. But what has really been so beautiful and meaningful are people who I really just sort of tangentially know or are really acquaintances who you say, hi, good job, is, you know, or <laughs> whatever, but you don't really know who have come with their whole hearts giving us 20-hour days. And, and again, they're, first of all, they're not our friends. They're not getting paid. Like we're all, you know, like they're doing right. this at the expense of them working. Um, and 
they come in, they'll wave to me and they sit down and they work and then they leave. I mean, right. it's unbelievable. Do it all over again the next day. And that gives me a lot of strength. Yeah. And these WhatsApps, you know, or emails that I get from people who I haven't, first of all, some of them I literally haven't seen since I was in kindergarten, but some of them will say, my cousin was in your sixth grade class. So it's not even someone I know. It's right. just someone saying, and um, I wrote an op-ed piece for, um, for New, York New York Times, and the editors send us some of the comments that they've gotten where, you know, this man wrote, you know, I'm sitting in, I forget what the place in China was in some city in China. Um, and my two sons are asleep and the, it, I'm, I have tears streaming down my cheeks and I, you know, and it's, it's helpful. I don't know why. I don't know why. Cause I've right. always thought to myself when I hear, you know, about some loss that someone's had and I will reach out to people, but I always think this probably How isn't is really helping help? them, right. but I'm going to write anyway, one or two lines. I'm telling you, it's a life lesson for me. It, I don't get it, but it totally helps. It totally, totally helps. And I think part of it is that there's such an existential loneliness when you're in an indescribable pain Yeah, that when other people are just saying, we can't imagine, but we're with you. That's enough. Because what I keep saying to people is, I also can't imagine it. And I'm in it. You know? Okay. We're going to wrap this up. Okay. One more question for you. You and John both said that in interviews that your video meeting, you met with President Biden on Friday, and it was supposed to be 20 minutes, and then it was going to be 40 minutes, and then it ended up being an hour and a half of President Biden meeting with all of the families of the missing who are U.S. citizens, who are dual nationals. And he said a lot of different things in that meeting. Um, but what was one thing that stayed with you that mm. maybe brought you strength and calm? Because he has said a lot of powerful things in the last days. Well, something that happened in the meeting toward the end that was really painful and dramatic is that one of the women who was on the call, she was on the call sitting Shiva for, she had two daughters, one daughter uh, they had found the day before. So they had just buried her, but so she was sitting Shiva, but she was in on the call because, you know, her other daughter. daughter. And while we're on the call and it's only 12 of us, so it's a pretty small zoom call and, and president Biden and a few of his, um, uh, you know, people in the administration who work with him. And she stood up at one point, someone else was talking. He wanted to hear everyone's story. And she stood up and she went to like the door of the room she was in. She was out for a minute and she comes back in and she's like walking around, sort of like throwing her arms in the air. And she hits something on her computer, which was the mute button, which all of us had had our mute buttons on. Right. And she says, I have to interrupt. I have to interrupt. And the president was speaking at the time and he said, yeah, go ahead. And she said, I just got the, the door knock that my other daughter is dead. And she started screaming. And we all, 12 of us, started crying on the call. And he put his hands in his, you know, his head in his hands and started sobbing. And it was so powerful because we were so with her. Yeah. Um, and what was really amazing is he, he, he wiped his eyes and he said, 
I'm telling you right now, I have lost two children. And I know right now you're in an unimaginable agony. But one day, you are going to need to be strong for the rest of your family. So scream, and you can scream to me as much as you want. And if you need me to, I'll call you tomorrow, and you can keep screaming at me. (laughs) He said, but you're going to need to allow yourself to be there for your family. And I just thought it was just a real human moment. And I know that it's very Western and very American and very touchy-feely. But you know what? We've been in hell for 12 days now. And it was a, it was a moment. It was a whisper of somebody getting the pain. And that will always stay with me. You know, no matter where you are, you could be, it, you know, with all of this, I keep thinking, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Hindu or whatever, like this tragedy is so universal right. in, 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 in wrapping all of us in excruciating pain that it's just it's something I don't know that any of us will ever recover from, no matter what the ending is. Um, you know, these, again, I always say, I mean, I'm speaking to people whose grandmothers are there. Right. Who, whose two-year-old nephew is there. Right. Right. The twins who are 11 years old who are there. The four-year-old Gingy whose picture is everywhere. Right. Like, this is not normal. No. It is not normal. And we are hoping and praying for the safety of Hirsch and of all the captives and for the ongoing strength that you have to keep on going with this to find the answers and to, God willing, bring them home. Amen, amen. Amen. If you have any comments about this podcast or any of our other podcasts, please drop us an email at podcasts at timesvisual.com. We're glad you were here with us today. It's good to know that you're on the other side of the microphone. Be well, stay safe, and Shabbat Shalom.